Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you feel blessed by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Hallelujah. Well, today we're carrying on with uh, the book of Acts. We're on the 27th chapter. So two chapters left as we go through the book of Acts. And I've loved doing that, going through, learning about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God manifests through a group of people. But today I want to talk about how one person can make a difference in the lives of others. And we're going to look at that through the Apostle Paul's life. In Acts 27, he's shipwrecked. And uh, it's just a stressful time that he's in. And in these intense moments, how through God's grace and God's help, he made a difference in so many other people's lives. I think we can relate to this because all of us have been through different things in the last few years. Particularly COVID has been a challenge, not only for the globe, but I think for everybody in this room, you can say, man, there were some challenging moments that we went through in that time. And, uh, you know, you can make a difference in people's lives even as you're going through the stressful times that they're going through. And I don't know how many people we were able to encourage and help even through the times of COVID. As a church, we actually grew during COVID, which was an incredible thing uh, through servanthood and through different things that God did through so many of you in this church family. Well, we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about how Paul made a difference and how you can take parts of this sermon for your life and learn how to make a difference in others. So, Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, you are all we need. And so meet us in this place, Lord, we pray. We want to say thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you more, that we might know the hope to which you have called us, Father, and the glorious inheritance that is already ours. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, the first thought we're going to look at is by sharing God's wisdom in the midst of difficult situations, one person can make a difference. Now, let me set up what's happening here. Um, The Apostle Paul has been basically imprisoned but he's appealed to Caesar. Because he's a Roman citizen, he can actually take his case to the highest court. And so because he's appealed to Caesar, he's, on a sh- he's about to be transported to Rome to take his case before Caesar. So that's where we are in our text in Acts 27, starting at verse 6. So there was a centurion that, that found the Alexandrian ship that set sail for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. The wind did not allow us to hold our course, and we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite of Salomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost, and our sailing already had become dangerous, and because it was now after the Day of Atonement, So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, 
allowed the, and took the advice of the pilot, the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Who doesn't want to go to Phoenix and winter there? Amen? It's a different Phoenix, just in case you're wondering. How many of you have ever been uh, in a difficult situation? You thought you're in the will of God, but you're still going through difficulties and challenges. And this is kind of where we're at in our story. Paul is discerning because of the difficulty of the journey and because of the different things that are happening. As he's praying and asking God what's going on, he actually brings a word from the Lord. And he says, guys, I can see, I can sense, and I know our journey is not going to end well. So he's basically asking them to kind of pause to wait until things align so that their journey can be safe. But of course, he's a prisoner. I mean, can you imagine the centurion just looks at him and says, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to the pilot and to the vast majority. How many know sometimes the majority can be wrong? Just sometimes, just so you know that. And here's God speaking in the midst of this, and Paul shares this word of wisdom in the midst of a difficult situation. Have you ever been there yourself? And I'm going to tell you today, we're going to just take a little bit of a side trip for a second. And um, when you're going through difficult times and you need to make decisions, I'm going to tell you how the Word of God tells you how to make a decision in the midst of challenges that you might be facing. Sometimes it's not even through challenges. Sometimes you just need to know what's your will, God, and how do I know that I'm in your will? Has anybody ever been there? Okay, so we can all learn from this. And the scriptures are incredible because Christians have an advantage over every other human being on planet Earth because the Bible tells us that there are really three lights that need to align in order for you to know that this is what God's will is for your life. And so those three lights are the first and foremost is that there's an inner stirring or an inner conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's this knowing, kind of ever had that kind of like, I just know that I know that this is the right thing to do. And uh, this is very important in marriage. And I'm going to add a fourth light if you're married. There needs to be unity between the partners. Amen? So you have this inner conviction, this stirring from the Holy Spirit, and then that's confirmed by the Word of God. Okay, so you have the inner witness, then the agreement with the Word of God, and then circumstances will begin to align to kind of say, green light, now is the time to go. And so these three lights need to be in your life when you're in the midst of making decisions. Dallas Willard put it this way, God's impressions within and God's word without are always corroborated, corroborated by the providence around and we should quietly wait until those three voice, voices point to one thing. Well, I'm going to give you a couple examples from our church life uh, where those things have happened to kind of paint a picture of why it's important to let those things line up. The first picture I'm going to give you is from Betty and our life. So Betty and I, when we were pastoring in Fort McMurray, we really felt 
that we, uh, we started to have this stir going on for this little community called Mournville. Now, we're pastoring in a church of a thousand people. We're, we're the associate pastor. We're being groomed to take over that church. And every time we went to prayer, every time we drove down the road toward Edmonton, Betty and I would look at each other and we would say, we're going to be pastoring here one day. And it was just kind of this like knowing that was going on in our heart. So the church called us actually uh, and said, would you like to come and pastor here? So we came and preached a sermon and um, I must have preached not a great message because I only got 74.8% of the vote. They needed 75% in order to invite us. So I was like, wow, Lord. I messed that joke was not that funny, and I must have ticked off a few people. There was a whole bunch of circumstances behind that, but that was kind of funny. Um, so I, I asked our pastor in Fort McMurray. I said, Pastor Glenn, because we were considering moving, and I had talked to him about it. And I said, I don't get it. Betty and I had this peace that we we're going to be going to this community, and it didn't line up. Like, the circumstances didn't open the door. And so in his wisdom, he said, well, it probably just means not yet. So he said, okay, we kept going in Fort McMurray and kept serving there. And in that time period, my wife started a little business and that little business grew to, she had about 10 employees, a cleaning company doing really good. We built our a house up there. Uh, it was a, kind of our dream house that we designed ourselves and we built. And, uh, it, and then suddenly, after a few years, suddenly that desire began to come back into our hearts. That, that like knowing, like, God, you're opening the door again. Something's about to happen. But this time, we were like, okay, now we're really going to pray. And so we were praying and saying, Lord, if you're telling us that this is happening, you need to confirm it. Now, this is kind of a humorous thing, but in a beautiful way. Um, we had a guest preacher in, and he preached in the morning message. Now, they had two morning messages, and evening, two morning Sunday morning messages, and one evening Sunday message. So the first message, Benny and I were there. Obviously, I was pastoring, and so we were there, but we weren't preaching. And he preached this message that was just so clear from the Word of God that God was calling us to leave the land that we were in and to go to the land that He had promised us. And we're like, wow, what a message. We knew right away. We could just sense in our spirit, this is the Lord. And so we, we did something very strange. We said, well, Betty, why don't you stay and we'll listen to the second time the guy preaches in the second time and we'll just confirm this with the Holy Spirit. Now, this never happens. <laughs> the guy preached a different message in the second service. And... <laughs> Listen, tell you, if you're a guest preacher, you come with one message and you preach it as many multiple times as you have to. He preaches a completely different message, but it also was a message about trusting the Lord as He's launching you forward. And we're like, oh my gosh, two words all telling us it's time to go. So then we began to pray that the circumstances would align. Remember, we've built a beautiful house. We've, uh, we've, uh, got, we're being groomed to take over this church uh, of a thousand people. And um, Betty has a successful little business. So we pray specifically, God, let the circumstances align to your will. Within one week, my wife's little business lost three contracts. 
And they were big contracts, and there was no reason for it. They, they, they were actually apologizing to my wife. They're just like, we're just going in a different direction. I'm sorry that, that this is... We started laughing by the third one. We said, Lord, we get it. You can turn on the tap, and you can turn off the tap. We're, we're, we're all we're green-lighted go. And so we came to the church that first, uh, that first. We said yes to the church. They'd asked us again. By that time, the church was down to about 25 people. And we said, God is calling us to go. We came here. And uh, it was an incredible time of watching the Lord begin to work as these three lights came together and told us what the will of the Lord was. Powerful stuff, okay? Oh, by the way, Betty and I were in unity about that, which was kind of important as well. Because if you're going to leave behind her business and a really successful church (laughs) and come to a church that... You don't know what's going to happen after a few months. You needed to know that you were in this together. Amen? Okay, so that, that was an example of how the first time we tried to come, we didn't have all things line up and give us the green light. The second time we came, we had all three line up. Well, then we can't, let me tell you the church, uh, next, another story from here. The church was going to, we wanted to build a church. So in about 2004, we came here, 2005 and six, we started talking about we need to build this church. We sensed the Lord. The church was growing rapidly. We kept renting buildings. At one point, we rented eight spaces in seven days in order to house all the ministries and all the stuff that were going, was going on in the church. We said, Lord, we're being good stewards, but you need to give us our own house. And so we bought a piece of land after, I think, 2008, somewhere in there, 2009. We bought a piece of land. We had looked at another piece of land on the highway. We tried to buy that. It didn't work out. Circumstances again. Uh, We looked at this piece of land. We approached the farmer and said, would you be willing to sell this piece of land? He said, well, for what? We said, for a church. He said, so many people have asked me to sell this land. I said no to everyone, but for a church, I will. So we bought the piece of land. Amen? Okay. We bought this piece of land, which was amazing. And then about a year later, maybe two, we found a prophecy, which is kind of the Lord declaring His will, that in our archives, uh, the Shens used to keep meticulous documents of these kind of things. And it was awesome. We pulled out the prophecy, and it actually gave us directions exactly to this land. And it talked about how the church would be a light on a hill, and it talked about how uh, even the building would be a testimony of the glory of God in this prophecy. And, and literally, guys, I'm telling you, it's like, go by the campground, turn left, take your first left after the railroad tracks, that's the land. Oh my gosh. So then we know <laughs> we're in the will of God, Right? We're like, okay, now it's time to build a church. So we, des- we design the plan that we have, thinking all the needs that we have for the church and the school, and we build this elaborate building, and it's going to cost us several million dollars, which we don't have at that time. But we, we begin to fundraise toward the vision. We've got our land. We, we, we believe that this is God's will, and we fundraise 
a good chunk of money, but not enough to build the big building, but we're still fundraising and believing God, and miracles are happening, and it's awesome. And so we, we say, okay, Lord, we're going to now get ready to build our building. We've got to go through these hoops in order to get approval from the highways because we're on two highways close to them. We, we're right by a railroad track. We need approvals there. And everything, I'm telling you guys, it was crazy. Everything we did was a stop sign. No. No. We would get approval to being built next to the railway track, and then the highways would come in and say, you need to get approval from us. They were so delayed and so behind. By the time we got the approval from the highway, the railroad came back to us and said, you have to do a whole new test. We don't know. It's been too long. Stop, stop, stop. We're going, God, what are you doing? Like, we're... You told us to build a church. We got this miracle land with miracle prophecy telling us we're on the right spot. We're going forward, but the circumstances are saying, no, not yet. So here's where we're living. Roadblock after roadblock, but we have the inner witness. We have the word of the Lord, and we're praying, and then we get a word from God, and this was the word, Joshua 1.11. Go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross over the Jordan here and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So the word of the Lord comes to us. We, we pray about it as a leadership team and those in leadership, and we're like, this is God's will. So we took the money that we had, okay? We didn't have enough to build the church. We took the money that we had. We felt the Lord saying, go into the land and begin to occupy. So we, we take this money, which is enough for us to do all the dirt work in this building, okay, all the dirt work on the land, and enough to build the foundation of the building that we had planned. But as we're going forward, we green light it, we start to go, and we build all this dirt work. Guys, it was over a million dollars of dirt work million dollars. Crazy. And, and we're doing all the dirt work, getting everything ready, the driveways, everything getting ready. And then we felt, no, don't build the foundation. We had enough to build the foundation, but we didn't know how many years we'd be waiting before we could build the rest of the building. So we had this check in our spirit. We said, no, don't build the foundation. So the dirt work was completed and ready. And then we were praying and still fundraising and believing God. Well, something happens. We get, <laughs> there's a building in St. Albert that was a church building, and they had about 18 acres of land. They sold the building and the land to a, a developer called Landrix. So we got a, this building over there, we, but we have our plan. We think we know what God's doing. And then every time we drove by the building, the Lord unbeknownst to me, was using my wife to speak to me. And every time we drove by, she'd say, why don't we phone them and see what they're doing with the building? And I'd be like, Betty, come on. <laughs> and like, I'm not kidding, guys. Like every time we went to St. Albert, which, which is like, Costco has a picture of my wife just thanking her for all the money she spent there. <laughs> we go to St. Albert a lot. Are you following me? And every time, every time, it was like this 
you know, wind up by the building. We need to talk about the building. It's like, I'm going crazy. Like, so I finally say to her, what are we going to do, Betty? Move the building? It wasn't a statement of faith, just so you know. (laughs) So finally, when Jim Sandmeyer's wife, Kathy, started saying the same thing to me, and her name is Kathy Doll. Like, it was like, I said, okay, we'll check on the building to see if there's even a possibility if they're going to move it or sell it or what they're going to do. Now, at the same time in the church, we had started a 52-day fast. That's where the whole church was fasting and praying. All people were taking one day or a couple days during the 52 days, not the whole church for the whole 52 days, okay? But together, collectively, we're fasting. So we contact them and we say, what are you guys going to do with the building? They said, you can have the building, but you have to move it yourself and you can give us a tax receipt for the building. So now we're like, okay. Hmm. So we get together our team of all the different builders in our church. We ask them, is it worth cutting this building up and moving it? So they start doing all the figures and all the costs and what you would actually save by doing this. After we did it all, and this is during, remember the church is fasting and praying. They said, you're going to save about a million dollars. Okay. So then Jim Sandmeyer, who was the head of the building committee, takes the building there. We figure out how we're going to cut it, what we're going to do. And he adds, we add 75 feet into this room to build a sanctuary and to build all the, class, or all the offices. And Jim Sandmeyer takes the building the way it's going to look, places a copy of it onto the land that we've developed and says it will fit perfectly. Wow. So after the 52-day fast, we played a video in the church saying God has given us a building. It was an amazing thing. So now all the things need to line up. We talked to different movers What are you going to do? How are we going to move this? Well, to move it down the highway, it was going to cost us an astronomical amount, like three quarters of a million dollars, because we had to shut the highway. It was crazy. But then we got a mover who said, well, go across farmer's fields. Never thought of that before. So then we get our together. We go and we knock on the Jim Sandmeyer, goes to the team, starts knocking on the doors of the farmers. And we plan a route. 18 farmers had to say yes to us. Guess how many said yes? 18. You guys felt the circumstances started to align. So that's what happened. Then Rick Lamontagne came with his building crew. We jumped in as our builder. And we began to cut that building and get ready to cut that building to transport. We went across 18 farmers' fields. We put it back together. It fit four pieces put back together. We had already built a new foundation now on the land to fit it, and it perfectly fit. How many know that's God? Do you see all the three lights that happen there? Okay, I'm telling you this because, guys, you may be facing roadblocks in your life on something that you're pursuing, and sometimes the answer is not no. Sometimes the answer is just not yet. And you may be going through some difficulties right now. You're like, why, God? And God may be saying, just hang in there. (laughs) Amen? 
You may be going through that, so you need to understand what God is doing. So we saw that, and it was an incredible thing. So remember, Paul gave them this advice, don't travel, guys, don't travel. Things are not going to go well if you travel. (laughs) Well, let's read how things go. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself and this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship was going to be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it'll happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. How many of you know this time when Paul is sharing, they're going to listen to him? Amen? And guys, as you go through life, you're going to find yourself in circumstances. And before I was in ministry, I was a Christian and I worked for a business. And I remember the word of the Lord just came to me on a couple things that I talked to my business owners about. I just said, well, why don't you try it this way? Well, they took something that I, I said, it wasn't me though, it was the Lord, and they ended up patenting that for their business. It helped them so much. You can get a word from God for somebody else, amen? You can do that. God can do incredible, amazing things. And that's what was happening. Even as we were looking at building this building, we, we, we were thinking about how are we going to house the Christian school, and so we looked at building up. And that was going to cost us way too much. So then it was one of our elders who said, uh, Doug Fraser actually, who said, well, why don't we build a basement? And when we calculated the building numbers and all that stuff, it, fit, it was like, sure, that'll work. That'll save us several hundred thousand dollars to do that. One person made a difference. Are you following me? You can make a difference in people's lives, guys. Well, here's not only the sharing of the Lord's wisdom in situations that you're facing, but here's how you can make a difference in people's lives. Secondly, by encouraging people while you're on the journey with them. Amen. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged, and they ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And when we had eaten as much as we wanted, they lightened the ship, throwing the grain into the sea. Wow. One man made a difference in 276 lives. Amen? Now, you've got to think about this in a different way. 
Because it's not just the 276 lives that were on that ship. It's the generations of people that followed through them. The 276 lives and their children and their children's children and their children's children and their children's children. Guys, for thousands of years, there are now people on planet Earth that would not have existed except for that one man coming with the wisdom of God. That's an incredible thought. You know, you think about the effect that this church has and the effect that your lives have. You know, we don't know how much it has changed and challenged. I'm going to get Carla Jean, and when she comes up with a band, to share a testimony of this church's effect on her life and her family's life. That's an incredible thing. You know, you're looking around this room and you don't know the effect that this church has had on families and on people's lives. You know, we don't know what we're doing. I'm going to tell you, you know, we do something like Haiti Arise and, and Walk for Water. Well, guys, you're, 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 you're putting a, a water place in, in store that is going to affect lives and families maybe for generations should the Lord tarry. Well, what is that going to do for people when they realize that a church has done this? People from way they don't even know where are helping us to get fresh water to keep our families healthy and safe. You don't even know when you get to heaven, people are going to come up and shake your hand and say, thank you for what you did in Haiti. And you're like, well, what did I do, Lord? I, I didn't go to Haiti, right? The Lord's going to say, thank you for what you did for me in Haiti. Well, Lord, I was never in Haiti. You built a well there. And that well was, then a church was built by the well. And the people from the community gathered and they began to know that their lives were changed because of that church. Amen? This is how it works, church. So Paul encouraged them that God is going to spare them all. And that's an incredible thing. You know, you may be saying, I'm the only believer in my workplace. I'm the only believer in my family. And God's saying, you're so incredible that you're enough. You're enough. And, and that's okay. Just bring the light. Bring the light through your life, through your work, in your community. God's saying one person can make a difference. And that's an incredible thing. Well, how do we encourage people on the journey with them? How do we encourage people in our lives today? I think by being positive yet realistic when people are going through hard times. You know, you can say to someone, I know you're going through a very hard time right now, and it may not be over for a while, yet I believe you can get through it. That's both positive yet realistic, isn't it? Send them a card, not filled with advice. Just send them a card saying, thinking about you, praying for you, love you. Listen non-judgmentally. You ever been around people that are going through a difficult time? And you ever notice that sometimes they say things that are kind of out of character? <laughs> Anybody else ever been there? Where you're like, I, I, I can't handle this much longer. And maybe even say things against God or say things about whatever. You know, you can listen non-judgmentally to people. Amen? That's how you give them a gift. I call it the gift of presence, not the gift of a present. The gift of presence, just be available. Go for coffee. Listen to people. 
you know, you can jump into people's, you can be in people's lives without jumping in the problem to try to solve it. As a matter of fact, most people that are going through difficult times aren't asking you to solve their problem. They're just saying, listen to me. So we can do all that. Amen? We can encourage. That's how one person can make a difference. Well, here's the next way that we can make a difference, by serving even in the midst of our own tiredness. The scripture goes on in chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found that the island, oh, by the way, they shipwreck, they crash, the, the boat's breaking up, and the, the soldiers are about to kill all the slaves and all the prisoners, but they, they don't because Paul basically, you know, is affecting that, their decision, and they're all grabbing pieces of the boards to make it, try to make it to shore. So they're all, they're all alive. They all make it. It's an incredible story. Once safely on shore, they found the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake uh, hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For even though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Now, guys, Paul is tired just like everybody else. Paul is waterlogged. Paul is, you know, just been through a shipwreck. Paul, you understand, he's, he's just the same as all of them. And when you're going through difficult times, and maybe you're amongst people that are going through difficult times, you still can be a servant. Amen? You can be a servant. And I think one of the things, the reasons this church grew during COVID, when so many other churches shrunk, is we acted as servants. The church family did so many extra things to try and help people contact people, staying connected to people, all the work that was done. I'm going to tell you, as a pastoral team, there was never more of an exhausting time than COVID because we were going through everything that all of you were going through, and yet we had to serve and get the sermon out every week and care for our people by phoning them. We phoned all our people at least three times a year. We contact, we did everything we could do. And yet there was still tension within the church. Remember? No, I don't remember. You know, there was one group that said this, and the other group said this, and we were in the middle saying, why don't we just love each other? Pick a side, pastor. Nope. I'm on Jesus' side. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can serve people, guys, even in the midst of tiredness and challenges because servanthood is always a mark of the kingdom of God and it marks our response in difficult situations. I marvel at this church and its many servants. I, I'm telling you, this church is a serving church. When we think about going and getting on that bus to weed the ground, let me tell you, there's been a bunch of servants that have been serving and working their head off to try and get those vegetables in. You're like, well, I can just buy my own carrots and buy my own... So what? It's not about you. Maybe there's somebody else that needs a free big bag of potatoes to get them through the winter. 
Hallelujah. Okay, so we're all going to be on the bus now. I'll be taking roll call. Okay, hallelujah. You see, when we serve others, we reflect our Savior. Jesus said it this way. It's not going to come up on your screen, but just listen to this. Within minutes, the apostles were bickering over who of them would end up being the greatest. But Jesus intervened. Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves dinner? You'd rather eat it and be served, right? But I've taken my place among you as one who serves. You've stuck with me through thick and thin. Now I confer on you the royal authority my father conferred on me so you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibility among the congregations of God's people. Now, guys, remember, Jesus has told them, I'm going to die, and they're all arguing. They're like, no, Lord, no, Lord. And then they get it, and he says, one of you is going to betray me, and then they start arguing about who would, who's going to be the betrayer, and th- that argument turns into, well, which one of us is the greatest? <laughs> Guys, so in the meantime, Jesus gets up and washes their feet. Oh, how humbling the Lord picked up the water basin and starts washing their feet. And then he's teaching them. I'm among you as one who serves, and I confer on you the royal authority that my Father conferred on me. Now, I can't prove this, but I want to get to heaven. I believe it's going to be true. I believe Jesus gave them the only certificate of being a minister, a servant of the Lord. I believe he gave them the towel that he washed their feet with. Now, go. Go into the various congregations of God's people and serve. Serve. Servanthood is a mark of the kingdom of God. I have three Dougs in my life that are incredible servants to me. I have a Steve who's an incredible servant. My wife, Betty, is an amazing servant to so many. Your staff are incredible servants, all of them. I don't even mention them by name, every one of them. I would categorize as a servant. You know, serving someone reflects the kingdom of God to them. One person can make such a difference. One last thing that one person can do when difficult things are happening, you can pray for and believe God for those who are in need around you. The text goes on in chapter 28. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. You know, prayer is one of those amazing things that you get to do that really takes the pressure off you. (laughs) Amen? Because God has to do it. 
you can come into agreement with the Word of God and you can operate in the spiritual gift of healing, but it still comes from God. It still comes from God. Amen? You can, you can have that in your life and, and you can serve in your life and you can pray for those who are in need. Amen? Because you're going to be looking around your life and you're going to see so many people in need. Hallelujah. Did I mention Ray and Margot's son, Jairus's funeral? Did I mention that yet? That's where we saw incredible servanthood in our church. Their whole small group, as well as the CMA group, came and provided the meal for that, that, that time of grieving for the family. Incredible servanthood. Incredible prayer times, you guys. God is calling us to pray. It's one of the great gifts that he's given us in your life and in my life. You may be praying for somebody who's sick, somebody who's going through a difficult time, somebody who needs wisdom from God, somebody who needs to hear the word of the Lord for their life. You can pray. How many of you know you can pray for the people in the Yukon right now? How many of you know you can pray for the people in West Kelowna and Kelowna? It's unbelievable what's happening there. You can pray. You can let people from there know you're praying for them. And any way they need help, you can say, here for you. That's a powerful and an awesome thing. My wife and I can test to you how many times we end up praying for people in the weirdest places. We often pray for people at church, which is great. But I can tell you, we pray for so many people in grocery stores, in Walmarts, in parking lots, in, if you're just open to the Lord, God will lead you to people. Often when we go to hospitals to visit some people from our church, we end up ministering to people that are not from our church. Often. It's very simple. You say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I, I notice you're going through this. Do you mind if I pray for you, for God just to meet you and touch you? I may not meet those people ever again, but I hope one day I meet them in heaven. <laughs> you can do all that, guys. You think that's crazy? Well, try it. You might be surprised to see what the Lord can do. One person can make a difference, guys, by sharing God's wisdom in the midst of difficult situations, by encouraging people while you're on the journey with them, people right around you that are going through the same things you are, you can encourage them by serving people, even in the midst of your own tiredness, by praying and believing for those in need. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.